So welcome to a Villarreal USA podcast. This is Alan. I'm joined by Sid. And uh, yeah, we may get to talk about our game on the weekend, but that was sort of, um, if you can overshadow a 5-1 romp, um, overshadowed by the news of the European Super League um, announcement. And uh, so we thought we'd kind of talk about that. I guess from the perspective of Villarreal fans, but also just longtime soccer fans. And, um, you know, it's this type of thing has been mooted for a while, but the timing of this was very interesting. And the fact that it came out in the way it did just before UEFA were going to announce what they thought was going to placate these people was particularly interesting, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say if only uh, fifth in fifth in La Liga was guaranteed a place in the Super League, we'd be fine, right? But, uh, <laughs> well, maybe not. But yeah, yeah, no. Um, well, the Arsenal fans sure are feeling a lot better about uh, the fact that they either well, otherwise would have had to win the Europa League to actually make it into the Champions League or whatever they call I mean, it. Yeah. If, yeah, if you wanna if you wanna look at it a different way, Alan, I suppose we're just adding one additional layer. So maybe the uh, the winner of the Champions League now gets permanently promoted to the Super League. <laughs> well, probably not permanently, but maybe they become one of those five teams that gets added for a year or something. Right. It's, right, right yeah. Right. It's so. So see, seems that yeah. Well, I mean, it, look, we we're gonna add the conference. You may as well just add one more layer to. I was going to say, at the rate we're going, if you if you end up um, lopping off, you know, some of these leagues, you're going to end up with the, you know, if you lop off the top three and put them in the Super League, and then the next four go into the Champions League, and then the next three go into the Europa League, and then the next three or go into the Conference League, you're going to be, well, if, if we don't get relegated, we're playing in Europe. I mean... <laughs> I well, mean, you, you joke about Adelaide, it, but it, it right. really is. Valladolid is going to be the only one yeah. <laughs> permanently inhabit fifteen through seventeen. Uh, they can uh, they can focus on domestic cup competitions, right? But, no, I, yeah, I think no, that in, in seriousness, yes, it's obviously it's obviously uh, you know it's it's we we've talked about it a long time in some ways in that, okay, something like this was going to happen. Maybe it would happen. Would they actually do it? Um, they've gone and done it. Yeah. I think, uh, a couple of maybe overarching takeaways. One, the, uh, Los Otros 18, I think can permanent be permanently revised at this point. I think we have, Clearly established, Atletico has uh, moved to the other side of that discussion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I suppose another interesting point is sort of who is the most aggrieved in this. Um, and I feel like it's sort of like a team like Sevilla, who kind of has always been good enough that they have separated themselves from the pack but yet can't command the cachet. You know, again, you look at somebody like Tottenham and have, you know, I suppose the EPL money is the only explanation for it, but also mm -hmm. looking apparently didn't quite realize how much it was. They are something like half a billion in debt. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, this this has <laughs> them weaseling themselves into this seems to have been the solution to their long term financial issue. Um, well, and, and I, nothing more than that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the timing of this is, you know, maybe not this week versus next week or something. But I think the timing of this is explained by the COVID epidemic and the fact that and the fact that you've got you've got these teams who are basically always sort of living on the edge of financial management, even at the best of times. And they were always gambling that, well, you know, our, our, our market share is big. Our TV contract is big. Everything is going to get bigger. Everything is going to get better. We can charge our, we can charge our fans more to come to the matches and everything else. And so the revenue projections were going up and up and up. And then the pandemic hits, and suddenly that's exposed how they have no they have no back door, and their back door now is to find J.P. Morgan to come in with whatever it is six billion dollars or something and finance this thing. And I think if it weren't for the pandemic, you know, UEFA's strategy has been to kick this can down the road and sort of make little modifications in the in the Europe, in the European competitions to sort of ward this off and i think that they sort of partly succeeded because clubs like um Paris Saint-Germain and um and Bayern Munich have said no we're not signing up for this but clearly was was that actually definitive I thought they just hadn't signed up as part I, of the initial twelve. At least, at least today, I, I saw reports that said that both of them had basically said we're not going to do it. I did see an Ajax Amsterdam mm-hmm. official thing that said we're not going to do it, but I think mm-hmm. the German clubs also <laughs> may have done something. Now, how do I say the the Ajax the Ajax statement is a little bit more projection than it is reality? Unfortunately, well, for well, them, true. But. I mean, after all, Leganes also issued a statement saying, for those who are wondering, we got a big match yeah, against Pomperadina. <laughs> I bet Pepino, Pepino was the one who made that statement for you. Yeah, him, yeah. So. But, um, but, but seriously, I think that what's happened here is that these, these 12 clubs have decided that, you know, this is something that, that they, they basically need this upfront money now. They need this, this, this plan now. And um, I think that explains the timing of it a lot. Um, it's interesting that you've got 12 clubs, six in, in the EPL, three in Serie A, three in La Liga. And I think it's kind of interesting because the EPL sides, I mean, the idea of including Arsenal and Tottenham in a European Super League when they haven't won much of anything is kind of in recent years is sort of ridiculous. Um, and the, and the, um, a lot of what's been hit out at in, in England has been to that effect. It's like, you know, you guys are sort of, you, you need to prove it on the pitch, not just, you know, not just buy your way into a, into what a is pro- AC Milan one in 15 years, by the way. So, well, exactly. I mean, I mean you this know, we're is, not, we're not, as, as much as we like to beat up on the EPL for the okay, there are six. I mean, <laughs> that's, well, that's a joke as well. That's right. I mean, so, Serie A. You can say. I mean, Juventus. You know. I mean, they're the club everybody else who are not fans of Juventus love to hate in Italy. But 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Inter and certainly AC Milan haven't done much in recent years. I mean, if you're if you're going on sporting merit, you probably say Roma and Napoli deserve to be mm-hmm. there instead. For sure, for sure. Um, one I thing I think Roma was going to be at the top of my list on those aggrieved as well. Yes. Well, one thing to remember though is that remember that AC Milan is now owned by essentially a hedge fund that took over after the previous owner was kicked out. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think they, and it's a hedge fund that sort of specializes. This is one of these um, guys who made a bunch of money, basically um, blackmailing Argentina. Icelandic, right? No, I think he's American. I think he he was involved Mm -hmm. in a group that involved um, blackmailing Argentina with their, you know, bought up a bunch of debt. and then IMF debt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought somehow, if I'm not mistaken, DC United was also owned by the guy who who was involved with with AC Milan. Somehow Mm. I had some recollection. He had some Icelandic background. Okay, I I, I don't think so. Some discussion of red and black. Yeah, um, but the last time DC United won anything was about the same time that AC Milan did. So, right, exactly. Uh, that's um, about right. So yeah, I think that, but I think there's definitely a, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think the Syria in Italy, the reaction I think is more like there's always. It's like okay, so three teams from the north are basically trying to screw the rest of us. I think <laughs> um, Spain is a little different because, with the exception of Sevilla, and admittedly for anybody who supports Valencia listening to this podcast, I mean you can argue that Valencia is a team that is also, when they've been well managed, has has certainly been up there. But you know, sixty percent of Spanish fans support one of these big three teams. So I think for La Liga, it's sort of different because if these three teams get kicked out of the league or if they leave or whatever, there's a lot left. There's a lot less left than there is in Serie A or EPL. Well, I mean, I think that's because of such the predominance of the big two. But I mean, Alan, you and I have been fans of La Liga long enough to know Atletico, uh, PSG. I mean, these were some of the most clowned upon franchises in the world. I mean, Atletico got relegated <laughs> when they were still a Champions League budget team. Um, so, so you know, not exactly crowning themselves in glory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think the Cholo era, obviously, for people who are more recently fans of the league, hugely skews. I mean, yes, okay, in the sort of ultimate table of La Liga, they've been up there. But that's not not been because they've been winning a bunch of leagues right. <laughs> any time recently. I mean, right. Valencia and Sevilla have been much better teams consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a stretch probably until, what, seven or eight years ago that Villarreal was consistently for 10-plus years – doing better than Atletico in the league. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, they, we, we, we were better than they were for, for a decent stretch of time, um, in, in the not too distant future. So again, I, I think that's one of the biggest things is of course, when you talk about permanent status of this, well, it's a very self-perpetuating thing. Mm-hmm. You have permanent status because you get the money 
and and the way I read some of these reports, it seems to be talking about there's some sort of grant up front, which makes it sound like the sort of parachute type of money you would get for a relegation. Well, this yes. is a parachute type of money to keep you permanently ahead. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they will be the biggest teams because they're getting the money up front to be the biggest teams and to make sure that they have a, such a financial edge over the teams they're competing with that those teams are never able to compete with them. I mean, so it's mm-hmm. <laughs> very, mm-hmm. very self, self-fulfilling prophecy for sure. Um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that too. I think that, I mean, what the, the, the initial reaction from UEFA, I mean, um, Schifferian's press conference today was pretty much, um, I mean, he was angry and he, he was not, he did not pull any punches. I mean, he was basically saying I was double crossed by these guys. I've been, um, you know, I, I thought that we had an agreement to, um, to this new 36 team champions league format starting in 2024. I thought everybody was on board with that. And then suddenly people stopped returning my calls and, and whatnot. And now I find out that, you know, I've basically been lied to and, and I think that's the real um, thing that's... Which... Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think somebody was also noting that what was interesting about that is there's a proposal in there, I believe, that the top four coefficient clubs are named. And, of course, people were noting that would be Liverpool and Chelsea currently. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm there is some effort in whatever restructuring is being done to do something like this. You know, the sort of Argentina uh, boy Boca might go down this year. So let's make sure we make it based on three years of results in the table. Right. um, Right. Kind of change. Yeah. I think, I think there was definitely a sense from, from UEFA's point of view that everything had been taken care of. And I think the, I think the real shock and anger was that, I mean, we we knew for a while, I think, that um, AC Milan and, and Inter were kind of trying to use the coefficients as a, as a way to get in, even if they didn't qualify. And I think people were sort of resigned to a few tweaks in the system, you know, as in this case, adding four clubs to, to um, help that happen. But but I think the I think the fact that um, this came out of the blue to to UEFA um, complicates the picture because it's really hard to sit down and, and negotiate with people whom you no longer trust. And what I heard from the UEFA press conference anyway was, you know, there is no trust here. Um, <laughs> normally, I would expect it would be kind of like what what our friend Zach suggested, which is, you know, in the end, all this is going to get settled behind closed doors and, you know, and everybody will emerge and tell us this is what's best for the game. And we'll kind of shake our heads and grin and bear it and go on. I don't know if that's possible given how, how this has transpired. I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but what, what do you think about that? That's a good question. I think the other development that we shouldn't sort of undersell is the idea of these combined national leagues. So, you know, there's already the 
low countries or whatever whatever name you want to use for the combined discussion of a Dutch Belgian league. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I heard some strong reports uh, that you know it's not immediate immediate but some concept of a u.s mexican combined league i don't mm-hmm. know if that's mm-hmm. sort of immediately on the horizon or three to five years um right. but you know if you start going that route then why wouldn't you have a european super league mm-hmm. if you sort of gotten rid of the domestic competitions anyways meaning sort of whatever you judge by domestic success <laughs> if you basically say okay you know we're going to make there be an Iberian league mm-hmm, and i mean mm-hmm. there's no way we're allowing Maritimo Funcal to be in the top division like we're going to structurally find a way mm-hmm. that those teams can't make it right <laughs> and right. okay it's going to be on results but man what if maritimo has a really good season then let's base it on three years results and then let's put a stadium size requirement and let's put a you know fan support percentage a lot i mean you know you could come up with something where you basically create this sort of thing that yeah. Yeah. The people we want are in, and the people we don't are not. Right. Um, yeah. I and mean, sort I think... of once once you're doing that at a European wide level, it seems like it only might make sense more regionally that you start doing that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, why why not? Well, let's say I mean, let's say for instance, if you decided that that you kicked um, the big three out of La Liga. You know what? Mm-hmm. What's to prevent you decide, deciding that you're going to have a Iberian? Okay, you've got 17 teams, and yeah. you want to have Porto, Benfica, and Sporting. Yeah, Perfect. exactly. You know, or and even if one one of them is is among the five that gets into the uh, the gets to sort of sit at the table below the salt and get a little bit of money from the Super League for a year. Um, what's to prevent you from adding another Portuguese side? I mean, you know, you, you can you can play around with this kind of thing. I think one thing that is, you know, when you look at Spain, and you see this when you look at the at the Segunda year after year, you know, that the, the number of teams who could make it to La Liga are fairly small. I mean, you've got 20 La Liga sides, and you've got, what, 24 in the Segunda and really about eight to 10 of those at most are kind of ones that you would say might be able to succeed in the Segunda, in the Primera over the long term. It's a little different than England, where, where the championship now is basically full of former EPL teams or teams that have a, a, a good catchment base and a strong background. So, you know, I could, I could see doing some sort of Iberian-based league. I just think it's interesting, though, that um, while Senor Tebas may rail against this thing, he's, you know, all of these leagues and UEFA and FIFA have been happy to see the expansion of sport of, of the game worldwide. They've been happy to sell off tons of TV rights to China and, and, um, and places like that. And they've been happy to move around kickoff times and move matches to places for the, for to um, you know bring in new fans. And so now, if 
it just feels like what's happening is that some of these bigger teams are saying, right, well, you know, we can live without you. You can't live without us. And we can live without you in part because we can go to all these new markets that you helped us develop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was going to say, I think, yeah, again, we've talked about it over the course of time. The pandemic only perhaps illustrates in a different way. I mean, it's it's no longer based on gate sales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such a small percentage. Again, and I think at VRL, we're somewhat uniquely qualified to understand this concept of football moderno if you if you wish to use it that way again of course i think the the club in some ways has some elements of that and some elements of sort of the very old fashion of 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 football but um you know the concept of course we don't we also don't have gigantic rabid followings all over the world Um, but we are less dependent on, uh, on gate revenues and, and that continues to grow, um, with, with TV rights and, but, you know, lots of merchandising and other kinds of opportunities for these bigger clubs as well. Um, well, the other, the the, other point, the one, the one point I did want to mention though on England though, and, and whoever sort of worked through this i don't know the the history well enough of port vale and other things like that alan but certainly i think the epl benefits from the fact that you have a much wider base mm-hmm. below that mm-hmm. yes we do um you know you have four professional leagues in spain it's two plus you know yeah, Segunda Bay, I don't really know. Don't really know, yeah. You know, yeah. It's technically termed a professional league. I don't I don't know that you would say that is the case hundred percent. Um so it's you know, two and a half ish. Yeah, um, I think and you've got a lot of that's just a, a much wider <laughs> talent pool to draw from. And and you right. know, we've talked about it for so long. The difference in player recruitment for VRL Bay when in the Segunda versus in Segunda Bay was night and day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that again, should, should tell you something, whereas I feel like teams in League One are still recruiting, you know, reasonably decent talent um, internationally as well. Well, there, yeah, there, I think there was a big change, though, a couple of years ago where it used to be clubs like Port Vale, which I can talk about since I've supported them forever. Um, you know, they they could, even in League Two, but certainly in, in what's now League One, um, you know, pay some modest transfer fees, get, it, get players who would then could then be sold on for tons of money. I think there was a change a couple of years ago where the... Um, the maximum amount that a, that an EPL team has to pay for a player from the lower divisions is, is a lot lower now. So that that's made some difference, but it's still, you're right. There's a much broader pyramid there. And in Spain, it's fairly narrow. Um, the thing I was, and I think Spain is not unique in that. I think England true. is, 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 is the, the outlier, outlier in yeah. all of that. Yeah. The thing that's that's interesting to, in thinking and speculating about this, because um, the national leagues have, have obviously come down hard um, 
on this proposal. Um, all of them are saying that they might want to kick out the teams that are that are that are joining the Super League. Um, but I don't know that I see that happening in Spain. Um, if it doesn't, though, it's a weird situation where you've got this team or three teams that have tons of money to swamp everybody else in terms of player recruitment. But how much effort are they going to, going to want to put into a domestic competition that means nothing for them? And it might become like the FA Cup in England has become, where, you know, marvelous history, marvelous story and everything. And yet over the years, the EPL clubs have basically found it more convenient to put out second string 11s when it when it comes to, to dealing with it. So, you know, you might be in a situation where, you know, Barcelona's B team basically is competing in the Primera, whether you like it or not, and the and the big boys are being saved for the for the money matches in the Super League. I don't know. Yep. And I mean, again, to an extent that happens already with the Champions League. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The irony perhaps sometimes. now is in the earlier stages of the Champions League, it's probably reversed <laughs> because the mismatches are so great, um, you know, in the group stage, typically for right. four of the six matches. Um, so, so yeah, no, there's some, uh, some discussion to be had about that, but you know, then, and then again, that as the collateral consequence to me would not be the worst thing. Mm -hmm. I just would get the sense that I think if, if you do this on a European wide level, what is the reason that you will respect domestic boundaries in your league? Yeah. I don't get the sense that the, domestic leagues last for long on their own because again be. why not be. why not go and you know create something with portugal create something with france whatever it is um where again you have a have a better draw um uh in in terms of in terms of all of these things mm -hmm. i mean even in terms of gate even if gate is not as important you know why would you want to play VRL if you could make sure you were playing, you know, teams in larger cities? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, I, it, I think the thing that's somewhat frightening about all this is that, well, two things from my perspective. One is that the basic assumptions behind this model may make sense from a financial standpoint, but they don't seem to make any sense to, to many real fans I know of the game. Um, I think promotion and relegation or even just the ability of the bottom teams in La Liga to win against the top ones is a very important thing. The ability of, of um, you know, Virial to make it to the semis of the, of the Champions League um, you know, those sorts of those sorts of dreams. I mean, Porto winning the damn thing. Um, those sorts of things are gone now, are gone under this proposal, and I think that's a real a real drawback. Um, the other is I just don't think that. I mean, frankly, I get I get tired with all the classico hype when I'm like, what well, happens two times a year? 
So now if we have a Super League and we still have them competing domestically, I just can't get excited about four Classicos. It just becomes the same thing over and over. And it's like, I don't think that there seems to be this assumption that the way you appeal to fans is to give them matches of two excellent teams against each other time after time. And my experience is that that often produces very dull matches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would also quibble with you, to be honest, and this was a little follow-on research from our our discussion about the Europa League. Um, you hardly have VRL making the semifinals of the Europa League now. I mean, so so you know, in in terms of the level of achievements, you know, we were looking at sort of payroll and otherwise in terms of wage budgets. And I think of the other um, seven semifinalists, and really Roma is a little bit of an outlier. I mm-hmm. think I found somewhere, again, all of these numbers have a little bit of uh, movement within them. But Roma <laughs> right. appears to be a top 20 budget team, maybe right. closer to 15. The other seven semifinalists were, uh, sorry, other six are our top 10. Yeah. Yeah, we're already um, the outlier, that's right. Right, so we're the outlier, and, and you know, Roma is to an extent, and, and so, but, you know, we're no longer just talking about the Champions League. Mm-hmm. We're also talking about the Europa League, because functionally, I think this Champions League place has really given the competition a much greater draw than it had previously. Yes, I um, agree with that. And, again, the... <laughs> motivation for the Tottenham and Arsenals of the world and you know even a Liverpool in a quote unquote off year like this one is to be able to try and you know have that ability to make sure they make it into the Champions League or whatever the top mm-hmm. top competition is. Um, so I the days of Porto winning are long gone <laughs> is what I suppose I'm saying, unfortunately, uh, I think that won't happen anytime in, you know, maybe it will happen now, <laughs> but I suppose that would, you know, that's because the Champions League is actually the Europa League. Um, I was going to say, I think one of the things that is really unclear about this is to what degree, I mean, let's, you know, this is a battle for the, for the control of European football's top competition, however that's viewed. And if the Super League teams break away and do their thing, then, you know, does UEFA, I mean, how does UEFA respond to that? Do they still keep the Champions League? I imagine in the short term they do and keep the Europa League and keep the conference. Um, You know, it's, it's, I think the timing of this is really difficult. Um, given that we're not yet at the finish of the of the 2021 competitions. Um, you know, I see a lot of anger. Apparently, there's going to be a discussion about kicking the teams out of the current competition. I, you know, I think it's like a lot of things. There's going to be a lot of this litigated <laughs> and probably litigated for a long time. And as Zach says, um, you know, you, you also are in a situation where, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. You've got, on the one hand, you've got UEFA who aren't exactly 
noted for financial integrity and transparency. But on the other side, you have a group led by Florentino Perez, um, Joel Glazer, and uh, the head of Juventus, uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment. So, you know, <laughs> you're, regardless of which way you do, it's like you don't want the cure to be worse than the disease, but there's no real good solution here that I see anyway. No, they definitely uh, backed back people into a corner. Like you said, I think the pandemic uh, drove this real fear um, on the part of some of these clubs that, uh, you know, combined the pandemic with the risk of potentially missing out on a Champions League place, for example. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm then you're really in trouble. You know, I, I had to say one thing that came to mind earlier when you were talking about it. Um, and uh, the ironies of many things we say uh, on, on our podcast. But, you know, if you look at Valencia, I think in some ways you have to say at least they're sort of doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they have made a concerted effort that they are selling some of their bigger salaries. Um, they have decided that they are actually going to play and invest in their youth players. Um, still have an incredibly chaotic setup in which it seems that, you know, they can't figure out <laughs> what they want to do today versus tomorrow. But, you know, even despite that, they seem to have brought in a decent manager Um and, you know, they have some interesting players. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. yes, are they making the Champions League tomorrow, next year? All probably not. But by the same token, they massively slashed their wage budget. Mm -hmm. They continue to be, you know, growing a few players. When you look at them, you know, they sold on Ferran. You know, Soler is going to be somebody who, who certainly yeah. could yeah. command some top dollar Guillemot will be a mm -hmm. you know, very mm -hmm. interesting prospect. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's yeah. uh, Kang Yin Lee is a very good young player. Musa, American. Um, so, you know, they're going to have possibilities in the next couple of years to continue to cash in on some of these young players. Um, and, you know, it's going to take them a while <laughs> because of the stadium and all of those things. But you see in sort of a three to five year period that they could rebuild themselves. And um, I think that's, I it's agree painful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's the way of doing it without completely having to sell your soul. And I think as with so many other things that we seem to see these days, the quick fix is always a desirable thing. Uh, and I don't think in the long term these folks are thinking about sort of what they may be doing to cut off their nose in the long term. Because if you sort of, you know, if, if, if you turn Serie A into a sideshow, then what about all the, you know, the fans of the league around the world who surely outnumber the fans of the clubs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and who are looking to the matches in the league as the rivalry kind of matches. I mean, again, 
how how does a uh, how does the Milan derby mean as much in the European Super League? It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't think there's any way to replicate that. How does a Clasico mean as much as a European Super League group stage match? Well, and you look at La Liga this season when we have probably the best you know, the best competition we've had for the league title in years. You've got four clubs that are that are pretty close. And what you're basically saying is, well, one of those doesn't count, you know, so it's just the other three. And the other three, you know, all of those... They're going to get to the same place no matter what happens. Yeah, right. So, yeah, what's the point? I mean, I think that's the thing that's really... You know, you mentioned Valencia, and I'm like you. It's like, okay, well, you know, we can we we can have our disagreements with Peter Lim, and I'm, and Valencia fans certainly do. But you know, if you look at two choices, one of which is to basically sell your soul and and demand a Super League place, <laughs> um, you know, versus doing what is being done, it's like I think most I think most people would say. You know the way it goes in traditional football is 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 now the model they're trying to embrace, where you develop young players, you sell them on, you work within your budget, blah blah blah. Um, it must be really nice to just say, "Hey, I'm a big enough club that I deserve five hundred million dollars up front." Thank you very much. I mean, I can't quite yeah. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Again, I don't know. It's a it's a maybe a three year path to keeping them where they are, but is it the ten year path to ending sort of <laughs> ending the ending the ideas behind domestic competitions and borders? I mean, yeah, you I could do know. right. We could turn into we could just have the Washington Generals follow all of these teams around the globe. <laughs> Right. And just play exhibition matches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. Why not? Right. That's the most lucrative way to go about this. So at some point you say, okay, we're going to have the European Super League for, you know, 20 weeks in the middle of the year. And the and other then, seven months of the year, it's just a traveling exhibition show. Right. The Harlem Globetrotters of soccer. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's not a very, a very, um, comforting thought but i i think right now we're sort of at the point where we don't have comforting thoughts um we have a lot of questions and we'll just have to see what happens i think the next um, few days will be crucial the next week or so will be crucial in seeing what actually happens i mean uefa is uh, or is threatening a lot of stuff um some of the leagues are talking you know a lot of things but how much of that actually comes to pass i don't know and frankly i don't know how much of it can come to pass. I mean, I think the whole relationship between clubs, um, leagues, uh, UEFA, FIFA, um, everything is is very complicated, and it's not something that I understand, and probably um, I, I don't think many people do. And the other thing to throw on top of it is that with Brexit, now, you know, a European court ruling doesn't apply to the UK where six of the breakaway teams are. So, you know, who knows? This could be, as I speak to a lawyer, this could be a field day for the attorneys, right? (laughs) Well, surely nothing is getting resolved anytime soon. But does that mean, does that mean that the sort of 
split happens and then they try and figure everything out or the other way around, I think is really what the, what the question will be. Um, but in a, in a perhaps looking to a solution or at least something to offer, that's not just a destructive thought. Um, it will be interesting to see where, um, you know, Senor Roige, where uh, Del Nido, where some of these sort of voices, um, you know, uh, De Laurentiis, you know, there are some people who are sort of somewhat on the periphery of this league mm-hmm. who have been in the past extremely outspoken um, about things they have viewed as injustices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's not a sort of, <laughs> you know, whatever the ECA or what it was that Vandersar led um, that, that had some of these clubs meet at. But again, you know, I, I don't know if the, if the answer is having 90 people opposed to it, I think it's having the right 10 people opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a, a, more than press release effort that gets made here to say, look, well, if these clubs have decided to do this, then we don't think they should be allowed to take part in, you know, cup competitions Mm -hmm. because the Mm -hmm. cup competition is supposed to have some right to obtain access to the open European competitions and these clubs who have already locked spaces in a closed competition shouldn't be able to participate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some And again, I don't even think it's the, whether that actually happens or has a legal basis for being upheld or whatever it is, just the very fact of, you know, like what I understand happened at Leeds today. Mm-hmm where sort of there's there's open opposition from players, from opposing managers, from fans, um, seeing that sort of thing on a week-after-week basis, those are the sorts of things that you feel like pressure may actually have some impact. Yeah, possibly so. Well, we're not, you know, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see how it all works out, and we're going to have to wait, wait and see if it has any bearing on Villarreal's um, semifinal against Arsenal and anything else. But, um, but it's, it's, I, I, it's certainly, I think, surprised everybody. I think that's the, I, I think um, Senor Tebas, for example, has been very outspoken against the Super League concept. But I think he and, and I, I sense the UEFA folks certainly felt that we've done everything we can to sort of meet your stated goals. And so to have this suddenly sprung on us at the last minute, I think feels like a real betrayal. And I think that's what's kind of poisoning or likely to poison any, any discussions um, in the short term. Um, and I, because we'll, I think we'll, you're, we'll cast I, a real Paul over, I think the champions league semifinals as well. Yeah. Who could imagine the scenario where PSG, the, uh, the ultimate of the ultimate nouveau riche would, uh, <laughs> would end up looking like the good guys that people might be rooting for, um, right. of all things. Exactly. So. Well, I, but I was going to say too, it's, it's another one of those things where it's like, okay, so at what point, at what point do you decide that, that a break is going to happen and it might as well happen now. I mean, if you're, 
if you're always being the one forced to the table to negotiate a deal where you're saying, okay, um, you know, well, we, we agreed to this change in the Champions League three years ago to make you happier. We put in more money in the Champions League to make you happier. Now we've set up a different system in 2024 that includes four teams getting in on the basis of historical merit or some such nonsense to make you happy. And now you're telling us you still want to leave. I mean, at what point do you just say, okay, fine, go. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that to me is the real, is the real question is at what point do you, it's hard to keep compromising and with other people when you think that the result of that compromise is going to be that within a year or two, they're going to ask you for a further compromise. Right. 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 So, and there's no, <laughs> having seen the kind of money that's there on the other side, I think there's no basis for saying that won't happen. I don't so, think so. You know, I, I, I think I think until something like this had happened, we were all saying, oh, sure, it'll happen. You know, <laughs> talking yeah. about, you know, 300 million uh, in in grants to the initial teams. I mean, now we're now we're talking about. You know, yeah. Some some paying off debts, you know, enabling you to buy five players on the transfer market, you know, the the kinds of things that were not possible um, without that kind of infusion of money. Right. Given, you know, look at a Real Madrid, <laughs> you know, they are they are you know basically net net even to net savers on transfer budget over the past 18 months. Now imagine if they're able to throw in, you know, Holland and Mbappe into their budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you look at 300 million euros and that's basically, uh, that's more than anybody's budget in La Liga except for the top three already. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's that that money is a game changer. I think the real question, as you said, is over the longer term, you know, three, five, ten years, we, you know, is that money, you know, is, is their model going to work long term? And I think the <coughs> I think the question really is, you know, is whether or not the, you know, how does how does world football, you know, how does it how does it emerge in the next five or 10 years. It's not too surprising that this has happened given that you've had, um, you know, the, the, the sort of feeble UEFA fair play attempts are kind of watered down so that you, you don't um, have any real uh, constraints against most clubs that, that are really wealthy. It kind of hits the ones that try to get rich, try to move up by spending a bunch of money in one or two years. Um, you you sat back UEFA and FIFA and EPL and, every, and all the other leagues, and you've been happy seeing these foreign investors buying your buying your your businesses, and you've been happy sending the Superliga over to Arabia and sending you know setting up times for your matches so that they appeal to fans in China and not your domestic ones. You've been complicit in all this, and now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And now this is where it's gotten you. And so what are you going to do now? Uh, you know, I mean, that really is is a lot of it is that we'd all like to find good guys versus bad guys. 
But in modern football, it's hard to see many good guys. Well, again, when we just talked about that people may be rooting for PSG in the Champions League, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I suppose Mm -hmm. you have no idea what coat people may be wearing on a given day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, that's an excellent point and probably one of those deep meditative things we should leave it on, Alan, is how much of the past few years of what has been done has contributed to this because we've all seen it, right? That slow little encroachment of, well, and, and even, you know, you talk about it is so, so poignant now, but think about what was done with the super cup. And the fact that it no longer became you have to actually win a competition, it all of a sudden became we have to get these two teams in it plus whatever poor saps actually, you know, qualified for it on the basis of merit. Right. That is exactly the league we've turned into. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So could not could not have been more timely. I wasn't wasn't this the first year that that was done? If I'm not mistaken, I I think think last year they took it overseas. Yeah. And then this year they did that. Well, we need (laughs) Barcelona and Madrid to make it, so we need to come up with some other. Make sure we invent a competition that will suit that. Right, and then Athletic Club win the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I think you're probably right. That's good. That's we've we've uh, gone long enough, and that's that's a, that's a good good thought to end well, on. Well, and hey, I I note with the last thought that the, the competition that the actually athletic club was playing in that ha- that they actually qualified for on merit. Of course, they fit, they lost twice <laughs> in the span of a few weeks, but the competition that. <laughs> they were just randomly thrown into. They managed to win. Yes, so exactly. That is, that is, I think, perhaps the ultimate 2020 uh, continued uh, approach. They have a trophy for a competition they actually didn't qualify for. Yeah, uh, or to look at it another way, it's the magic of football. Right. <laughs> the, the magic of the FA Cup. But could, yeah, there could you go. they do it on a wet night in Stoke? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yes. All right. Well, well, for Sid, this is Alan. Thank you very much for listening. End of Antverial. And hopefully all of this gets resolved before very long without too many, uh, too many things going wrong. But right now it's hard to see what's going to happen. So thanks and good night.